and welcome to episode seven of Athletics Weekly's Ask the Athlete podcast. It's based on our Q&A video series, where we dive into the lives of world-class athletes through questions sent through by you, members of the public. What makes them tick? What's their mentality? What processes have made them the athletes and person they are today? We're joined by Colin Jackson, Olympic silver medalist, two-time world champion and indoor champion, four-time European champion and three-time indoor champion, two-time Commonwealth champion, broadcaster and TV personality. He chats to AW about his rivalry and friendship with John Ridgen, if he'd exchange his world records for an Olympic gold medal, trading tips and the biggest mental challenges he's had to overcome, and so much more. Hi, I'm Colin Jackson, uh, world champion at the 110 meter hurdles twice, uh, world indoor champion at 60 meter hurdles once, I think. A um, couple of times European indoor champion at 60 hurdles plus the 60 meter flat Commonwealth gold medalist twice, if I remember well, and European outdoor 110 champion four times and uh, record holder broke world records for. 110 hurdles and 60 meter hurdles and still hold the European records for both distances. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm hanging on in there, as they would say. So I've got a couple of questions here and we're going to hopefully answer them. So the first one goes, you ran 649 for the 60 meters indoors, but only 1029 for the 100 meters. Um, what do you think you could have run for 100 at your best? And why don't we see more sprint hurdlers go under 10 seconds for men or 11 seconds uh, for women for the 100 meters? Well, simple fact is, um, like anything else, uh, it's about preparation. So for me to run 6.49 is because I spent a lot of time preparing to run 60 meters. It was an objective to run the European indoors and run quickly. But when we do sprinting outdoors, it's not really not that important to us. So we don't spend any time specializing in it. Um, so all 100 meter runners, you know, if you watch their progression, they start really relatively slowly in the, in the season and they get better um, because they invest the time in that. What we are doing, we're specialists in hurdles. So we're investing time into hurdling, not into sprinting. So that's the reason why uh, you don't see many of us um, running really, really fast because we're just doing one-off performances. Um, and if I was at my best, if I prepared for it, well, anybody who's run under 650 always run around that 10-0 mark. So I guess I would run 10-0 or something. Um, could I go into 10 seconds? I don't know. But I could definitely run 10-0 or something if I had specialised in it. So hope that answers the question. Next question. How much uh, did your rivalry with John Ridgen inspire you to become an athlete? Um, and have you chatted with him recently to reminisce? Well, John and I, I don't know if you know, there's only four days between us and our birthdays as well. So we kind of share a lot. Um, February babies. Uh, and so we've always had a rivalry from we are kids and it's always been a good, friendly rivalry. And so, yeah. Um, I think having John when I was from 15, really, and competing against him was something that kept pushing me on. And do we still keep in contact? Absolutely, we do, even though he's he's working where he works in the eye of world athletics. Um, and I'm doing what I'm doing in my world of athletics, but we definitely still keep in contact. 
What was the biggest mental challenge you had in your career and how did you overcome it? I guess the biggest mental challenge I had was uh, bouncing back after the Olympic Games in 1992 because when I got injured, I was in really great shape and I had this real dream about breaking the world record and becoming the Olympic champion all in the same race. And when I got injured in the in the second round, um, it, it threw my brain completely because I knew then I couldn't break the world record, so I couldn't do what I wanted to do. And so it really got into me. And then obviously then finishing seventh in the Olympics and my training partner winning the uh, Olympic title um, meant for me it was tough to refocus uh, and try and build myself back up for the World Championships the, the following year. So it was most probably keeping motivated to, to train uh, for the season of 1993 after a disaster in 1992. Well, a disaster because I didn't win the Olympic gold medal. I still ended up world number one but it was still a disaster season. <laughs> um, how do athletes generally feel when their records are finally broken? I have no idea how athletes generally feel. I know how I feel <laughs> when records are, are broken, and I'm a huge fan of athletics. So to me, you know, when you're a world record holder, you're world, it's only borrowed anyway. You know, I took it off Roger Kingdom. He took it off Rod, Ronaldo Nehemiah. It doesn't define me as a, as a person, especially in my life now. So um, it's nothing that's a, a really a kind of a big deal for me. Um, because if you remember, I still retired with the world record. So I couldn't do any more. Um, you do what you do. You retire as world record holder. You're the best of the generation. And uh, you should be happy with that. And so that's the way that I feel. Others may feel very different. They may feel like they own their records. but yeah. Not for me, borrowed, totally borrowed. And it's only my PB. <laughs> um, what would you say was your greatest achievement in your career? Funny enough, this is an odd one because people may put, you know, world records breaking, you know, um, being world champions, things like that. No, for me, it was winning the World Junior Championships. Uh, it was the very first World Junior Championships and I was injured going into that championship. So when everything was going great in preparation, I wasn't sure whether I could win the title or not because I've I picked up this hand, hamstring injury, so um, I was really well looked after by the team medical staff. And uh, when I went on the line for the first round, I wasn't sure I would get through the race, but I managed to get through that race. Uh, and I think that was a real starting point because then I could believe in myself and believing in yourself at such a young age when you have a huge challenge to deal with favorite to win a title and carry an injury and then manage to put it off kind of set up my whole career so that was a a really important race for me and uh, a pat on the back that I actually uh, got through it and won the title and set a European record I think at the time European junior record yeah um what did Colin's race preparation look like food bag mental preparation and what essential things could not be missing from his training bag well um first thing would be <laughs> going in reverse order my spikes and my tape measure those are the two things that were essential um, my blocks were really particular for me and so i had to measure them out and um, unless i had a tape measure i was completely blown um, so yeah spikes tape measure the most important things for me to have in, in my kit bag um when it comes to race preparation itself um i i didn't do 
anything that I didn't do in training. So I, I practiced every single day exactly the same routine. I didn't want to take myself out of any routine. So uh, I would have eaten like yogurt and, and had black coffee in the morning as per normal um, and just rest up as much as I could before the race. I didn't really spend much energy doing anything, just laid fat, relaxed, read, watch TV, whatever, just to keep myself nicer and calm. Um, and in my food bag, uh, then I used to just have a little bit of um, bars of chocolate. I don't know, I used to have like thin bars of chocolate that would just pick me up. I used to call it happy food that would just pick me up um, if I felt a little bit flat or I felt my blood sugars were low. Uh, and I'd have some wine gums again, about 100 grams of wine gums. So as soon as I finished the race, I popped back those wine gums just to uh, boost back up my, my sugar levels. And that was basically it. I didn't do any mental rehearsal. Um, I always believe that all the 300s I'd done in the winter and the hard distance work I did over distance work over the barriers were enough. So I didn't worry too much about any other mental preparation. Uh, would you trade your world records for an Olympic gold medal? And that's an easy one, no chance. Um, no, I'm happy with everything that I do um, and everything that I did. So, you know, if I was supposed to win an Olympic gold medal, I'd, I'd have one in my cabinet. Um, so, no, I wouldn't trade any of my performances for another performance. Not on your life. Very content with uh, everything that I've won. Uh, Colin presented me with the Welsh School's medal for winning the 1500 metres in 1990. Oh, then it says lovely bloke. It must not be me. Anyway, uh, what key elements can he pass on from his early days of training, strength, technique, etc.? Wow. Okay. Um, everything you've got to understand when you, you're working on technical stuff or strength things, there's no fast track. There's no fast route. So you've got to have that foundation work put in place. So my coach was really adamant on, on getting us well conditioned, first of all, before we even lifted any weights. So we would, you know, command to spend a lot of time on body weight stuff, circuit training, um, plyometrics, etc. Um, and then when we actually started lifting, I didn't start weightlifting until I was 21. So um, after I started weightlifting, then we work with a weightlifting coach, first of all, to kind of help us uh, technically. Um, and then Malcolm, Malcolm Arnold, my coach, would set the, the weight training schedule that he wanted us to achieve. But we all worked from the very beginnings and learned the techniques properly so that we could lift well and we wouldn't get injured. And that goes through everything, resonates in our hurdling skills as well, you know. Um, I remember people coming to me and asking me to show them how to do a hurdling exercise. And, you know, I was thinking, well, I was doing something about two years ago, really, which got me to the level where I am now. So everything you remember, you learn from the very basics and then you kind of get good at it. So there's no rush to get anywhere uh, where we. Um, oh, what this, I love this. One. It's a great one. What was Colin's favorite stadium to compete in and why? Oh, man, I had two really great stadiums. That I loved competing. Rome um, was just magical. I mean, um, Maybe I think it's linked to the fact that I won like a world championship medal at 2020, 1987 at the, at the Rome Stadium. So it was held quite affectionately for me. But Rome was just a magical stadium. It was very still. So I try and start my season in Rome as well because it was nearly perfect conditions. 
26, 27 degrees, hardly any wind and a very fast Mondo track. Um, so yeah, Rome's most probably, I'd say my favorite stadium, but my second and really close would be Zurich um, because uh, the World Class Stadium itself, the atmosphere in it is just incredible. Uh, so yeah, those would be my two stadiums. I'm trying to think now which one I've run faster in. Most probably run faster in Zurich. I think I've run, yeah, I think I've run 13.06 in Zurich and 13.07 in Rome. So it was that close, yeah. <laughs> um does colin think that his height of 182 um was ideal for the hurdles um well i'm pretty short for a hurdle everybody would say that but my advantage i guess is my leg length i've got reasonably long legs for my height uh, so that i guess can make it a little bit of an advantage um having the right leg length but my doctors when i was young because i suffered from you know those growing pains in your knees and all stress and strain exercises caused me a lot of grief when I was, was younger. And my doctors told me to try and find a different sport, a different event, because um, my body couldn't take the stress and strain that I was putting under um, in the practicing athletics and practicing hurdles. So it was, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was an interesting challenge for me not to listen to a doctor and just to do what I wanted to do. Yeah, it worked out well. Um, how do you organize medical issues in advance, feet problems, uh, hamstring injuries, etc.? What did you undertake to prevent them? And what advice do you have for other athletes to avoid such injuries? Yeah, I was really particular. You know, I, I, I always looked after myself as much as I possibly could. So I, I looked for um, a therapist that I would get on with. Because if somebody is going to look after your body, you better trust them. So the first thing was, again, a therapist that I could trust, um, that I and you knew their stuff um, and you know, understood my own, my body. Uh, and so, yeah, I was lucky enough to, to seek out a couple of great therapists who, who saw me through my career. Um, and I, I trusted them then. I trust them now. And uh, yeah, it was just important to look after yourself. I remember my mother saying to you, remember your feet are your fortune, so look after them. And that's what I tried to do. So my very best, seek out the best in the business that could help me. Of course, I was lucky enough that I had money as well, um, so I could afford to pay them. But either way, yeah, it's the right thing to do. Um, oh, I've loved Colin's food pictures during lockdown. <laughs> What's his favorite food and how has his diet changed since stop, he stopped competing? Okay, yeah, I, I'm a bit of a food. Yeah, I love cooking. I've always have loved cooking. Um, it's one of the things that, well, yeah, not one of the most probably, the only thing I could do that was quite creative. I can't draw, I can't do anything like that, but I can cook. So I love cooking all sorts of stuff. I love the challenge of cooking, getting flavors right, and getting the technicalities it right, marrying flavors together. I love all that business. So for me, um, when it comes to favorite food, to cook most probably be Thai, because I love the, the real beautiful light flavors that are also spicy. 
Um, home food for me is kind of like real soul food. So my parents are Jamaican, so we have a lot of Jamaican culinary. That's always been given to me from a kid. So I love that. I've grown up with that. But yeah, food of the world, I'll have a go at. So um, yeah, I'll cook anything that I possibly can and when I can. And it's funny enough, because of lockdown and not traveling so much, I had more time to spend in my kitchen. So um, yeah, I cooked. I cooked a lot more. I enjoyed it, must admit. Uh, where are we now? Oh, and has it changed? My diet changed. That was the second part of that question. Yeah, my diet's changed a lot, really. Um, as you get older as well, I think it's because I'm a little bit wiser. And <laughs> because I'm wiser, um, I know how to balance nutrition better. So I'm most probably, I know this means sound weird, but I'm most probably healthier now than I was when I was an athlete when it comes to the, the food side of stuff. Um, I was, I always slightly suffered and did a big documentary on it in, in Panorama about food disorders in, in, in sport and uh, the importance of eating well, etc. So, yeah, I kind of suffered as an athlete and got over that. And now, because um, I know more as well, um, I most probably cook better. Uh, next one was, what's been your favorite moment watching and not competing in athletics oh goodness gracious can you remember um oh there's so many oh man this is, that's a great question because i'm a fan of athletics obviously so for me it's really tricky to pick out one or two you know london 2012 obviously was great super saturday was fantastic Beijing, most probably watching Usain Bolt win his first 100 meter title because I'd never seen 100 meters, especially in the Olympic Games, won in the manner that he won it. And then, of course, he broke the world record in, in place. Um, goodness gracious. Yeah, those are most probably the ones that were outstanding for me, I guess. Um, and let me think the ones competing as well and not competing in athletics. Ooh, okay watching and not competing yeah since i wasn't competing i was just watching yeah usain's most probably usain's 100 meters in beijing um in when he won in 2008 that was just breathtaking he announced himself to the world in an incredible manner so that's what i go for uh where are we next we are what's oh no i've done that one okay <laughs> colin's coach from the age of 17 through to his retirement was Malcolm Arnold. Yeah, I've mentioned him a few times, who clearly played a huge part in his success. Does Colin think coaches should get medals at major championships as um, as we've seen on some occasions? OK, in global winter. Um, yeah, why not? You know, they put just as much effort in. I used to giggle at Malcolm all the time and he, he used to hate me for it I know he did but I always used to say to him goodness gracious if you had the medals that I've had um you'd be doing all right and he, he just giggled at that as well um, <laughs> but he had um so many other athletes who won you know major medals major titles broke world records and so not just myself so yeah his medal cabinet would be full packed uh, because he was a very successful coach. And yeah, I see no reason why we shouldn't recognise the coaches. He's quite odd, mind you, Malcolm, because he most probably wouldn't want them. He would say that's not his job. His job is to coach and not to win the medals. It's the athlete's job to go and win a medal. So, um, yeah, 
he, 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 I'm not sure if he'd appreciate all the accolades thrown on him. So that's Malcolm. <laughs> and this is the final question here I got here, which is, what has been your biggest challenge since retiring from athletics? Wow. Um, I think when you retire from athletics, uh, you can never lose athletics in your blood. It's always in you. So for me, um, what I absolutely loved was trying to reinvent myself um, in different walks so I could create other memories. So the athletic memories for me were amazing. Kind of raised history. Uh, it was brilliant. I thoroughly enjoyed it. But you kind of want to taste something similar elsewhere. So taking on challenges on, on TV, for example, you know, I did Strictly Come Dancing. I've done MasterChef. Um, and recently I've just done Dancing on Ice. And they were all brilliant shows to be on. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. So for me, I've loved the, the challenge, I guess, of reinventing myself so that I can, I guess, appeal to a, a, another audience who didn't know me as a runner but now may know me as a dancer or an ice skater or potentially a chef. So it's reinvention. It's challenging. Thanks for listening to this episode of Ask the Athletes. If you love what you heard, then please subscribe to the podcast. It means you'll be notified when a new episode is out and you can also like and leave a review. And if you felt inspired or just really want to listen to it on a walk, jog or while training, then please share it with others as it may make a difference to them. Stay tuned for next week's episode. But until then, goodbye.